man, if you have your Bible in Acts chapter 23, uh, I want to talk to you. I was thinking about this sermon. Uh, boy, there's a lot of territory that we're going to cover today. And last week there was even more. And we was looking at Paul's testimony of where he had talked about I was innocent of uh, not failing to preach to you the whole gospel, the full gospel the Lord had given to him. And uh, he talked about everywhere he went, the Holy Spirit bore witness that tribulation and persecution awaited him. But Paul said, nor do I count my life so dear that I would not finish the race. And so in that aspect, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about how do I summarize this uh, sermon today? And I remember, I remember, I remember the little old preaching, preaching cliche when somebody would say, boy, he couldn't hit a lick with a crooked stick. And I thought about how do we live straight in a crooked world? And what are some principles <clears throat> that we can actually live by in this crooked world that we live in? I mean, think about it. We live in a world where everything that is once was right is now wrong, where once was the thing to do is no longer the thing to do. That which used to be done in secret is now done in light. That used to be which was shameful is now what is celebrated. So how do I live straight in a crooked world? How do I, how do I sell if you're in the sales business? How do I sell among the wolves? How do I, how do I maintain integrity when everything at work is, uh, leading me down another pathway? When people are asking me to compromise things and live in a way that compromises the very integrity and principle that I'm supposed to live by when people are asking me to turn my eye and not report things or not act like things aren't so how, how do I live straight in a world that is just so crooked how do I walk a straight path down a crooked road and so in that application, I believe Paul gives us some principles that will be a guiding light for us today. And it says in Acts chapter 23 and verse 1, Paul looked intently at the Sanhedrin and said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience until this day. Now, boy, there's a, something that many people would say, can I live my life in good conscience. When you think about what it's like to be clean, to have a clean heart, that conscience is that inner voice, an alarm that sounds, uh, a warning alarm. Not, not long ago, uh, man, a friend of mine has a brand new, uh, GMC pickup and, uh, I was moving it for him. He was doing something. He said, move it over here. So I got in there to move it and man, I started backing up and all of a sudden, man, the seat started shaking. I, I felt like I was on an amusement park ride or something. I mean, the seat was shaking and vibrating and, and, uh, I mean, lights were going off in the mirror and, uh, beepers were, were happening and there was all these alarms that was telling me that I was approaching something. And so, man, the whole seat started shaking. And uh, apparently, if you get close to the side of the road or you get too close to something, I mean, as a matter of fact, we have cars now that will automatically slow themselves down. Hey, not long ago, I, I would not have uh, professed this publicly until I actually encountered it. But when we went out to the West Coast, a friend of ours had a Tesla. I mean, we drove that thing. I got to drive it, literally driving itself, just cross your arm. I mean, there's all kind of things today to keep us on track. But why are so many people going off of the rails 
when everything seems to be as good or as better as it probably has ever been. So how do we live straight in a world that is always trying to lead us down the wrong pathway? When you think about a conscience and that inner voice, you know, the word of warning about your conscience is, it. The conscience, if you don't get anything else from today, get this right here. The, your conscience does not set the standard of what's right or wrong. Your conscience only applies to the standard by which you've been taught. Now, I'm going to run that one by you again, okay, because that was a big mouthful. Your conscience does not determine the standard of morality, of what's right or wrong. It only applies, your conscience only applies to the standard by which you've been taught. You've heard it said many times, let your conscience be your guide. Follow your heart. Follow how you feel. Today we have people who are following their heart and following their conscience and they are running in the ditch left and right all over the place because they are not flying by the instruments. And I want you to understand that your conscience is something that we have to, if we are going to live straight in a crooked world, if we are going to make a difference, if we are going to be salt and light, if we are going to be the difference, not just talk about the difference. I'm so tired of Christians talking about how bad it is and not, how are we going to, how are we going to make a difference? We're going to make a difference by being the difference. I'm telling you, we want to impact the world. Let's be the difference. God is calling us to a higher standard. All around Christianity and religious circles, there's a mode of defeatism. And the conversation in most churches are, well, what are we down to? What number are we down to? Not what are we up to? Not how many lives are we impacting? And I believe one of the reasons is because we have abandoned the conviction of the conscience of the Word of God that would have us passionately following after what Jesus has called us to do. I'm telling you today that so many people are following what to the degree that they've been taught and the degree that they have been taught is so shallow that when the white waters of life come sweeping over the vessel of their life, it's washing them out of their rafts. It's Blowing them against the rocks, throwing them against the rocks, and it's taking them down. And today we have to come to a place where we have a Christ-like conscience. Matter of fact, we have to realize that we are not going to follow our emotions. We are not going to follow our heart because Jeremiah 17.9 says the heart is deceitful. It's deceitful. And above all things, it's desperately wicked. Who can know it, Jeremiah says? It's desperately wicked. Who can know the heart? It will lead you astray. What does the Bible say about our conscience? Everybody wants to talk about it. Follow your gut. Follow your conscience. Follow your emotions. Follow your heart. Whatever you quantify it as or title it. Listen, Titus 1 and 15 says, Under the pure, all things are pure. But under them that are defiled and believing, nothing is pure. Today, I believe that we are fighting the wrong battles. We are wanting the lost world to live godly, and we are excusing ungodly behavior in the church of a living God. And in that aspect, what is he saying? To be pure is to be pure. It's kind of like this. If you never tell a lie, you never have to remember what you said. What is pure is pure. But what is defiled is defiled. But even their mind and conscience is defiled is what it says in Titus 1.15. What does that word word defy mean? Defile. It means, if you look it up, it literally means to like die with another color. When you defy or defile yourself, you are completely changing the whole color and complexity of that situation. You may remember uh, uh, back in the day when they, they had this standard bearer that if you if you were a virgin when you were married, you wore a white wedding dress. 
and it was a sign of purity. But now, I mean, just anybody wears a white wedding dress because it's the, the moral, it's the, the new standard of conscience in the wedding world. But if you would have to wear an off color, an off white, and it was a symbolism or something, and it was like to say that that person is, is getting married and, and that they are not a virgin. I mean, you think, well, that's, that's brass. Why would they say such a thing? Well, they used to have this different standard that people live by. To die with another color. Hey, think about this. I, man, my heyday, my heyday and, and my homecoming prom days and all this was, uh, was, uh, in the late, late, late eighties, very, very early nineties. And, uh, man, I remember back in the day when the, the girls would go, they'd go pick out their prom dress, their homecoming dress, whatever it was, and they would dye their shoes to match their dress. You remember that? The only problem with dyeing shoes in Louisiana is that it rains a lot. And that water that you have to walk through sometimes affects the dye on a shoe. I remember, hey, my senior prom, Christy came down. She was, had a beautiful dress, man, ma- matching shoes. And she didn't understand Louisiana uh, rain. And it was pouring down. And her dyed shoes began to just color the water all around them. To dye, you could change the color of something on the outside, but how do you change it on the inside? In that aspect, my friends, today what I want you to understand is that God is doing something special in our lives, but we have to get to the place where we realize that our heart is defiable, that it will lead us astray, that our emotions will lead us and will allow us to fly by our feelings and not by the instruments. You know, the other thing about our conscience is that it can be seared. In 1 Timothy 4 and 2, it says, speaking lies and hypocrisies, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. It means like a scar, something that's been cauterized or branded where the nerve endings have no feeling anymore. Today, my friends, I believe that we have seared our conscience is what it is saying right here. Paul's telling young Timothy, son, preach the word, be steadfast, be unmovable, be unshakable. This was thousands of years ago. Paul was telling young Timothy this because people have had their conscience seared and they can no longer even feel Feel the moving of the Spirit in their life. Today, what I want you to realize is that God is calling us to realize that we need to have a God-like conscience. Not one that is seared, not one that is defiled, and not one that is driven by evil. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 22, to let us draw near with a true heart, full of assurance, full of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from evil conscience and our bodies cleansed and washed with the pure water of God's word. My friends, today we, our conscience will lead us astray unless our conscience is rooted and grounded in the very principle of God's word. Oh my, today, if we could become as upset with the church that is living a life that is contrary to God's word as we are to those who are lost in the world and don't understand. Why do we expect a person that does not know holiness, does not understand transformation, does not understand what it was like to be transferred from a kingdom of hell unto a kingdom of holiness to a kingdom of heaven to live like they've been holy? They cannot do it. Can a fresh fountain put forth Salt and fresh water, a spring of water. James says, no, 
In that aspect, what we are thinking is, to many people, a conscience is like a sundial. You see, you can hold a flashlight wherever you want on a sundial, and you can make it read whatever you want it to read. But my friends, we are to be a sundial, not one that is just telling time that we can have artificial time placed upon it, but we are to be a sundial for the S-O-N, Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, that when His light of glory hits our life, it reflects back into a lost and dying world, that we may be able to reflect the goodness, the graciousness, the holiness, the righteousness of God in our life, that it may bounce back into a world and that the light of the glory of God may reflect into our heart and our life and that we may shine forth His good grace and we can live in a true conscience state. Paul stood before him and said, I want you to know that I am innocent last week. I have preached the whole counsel of the word of God. Today, my friends, I want you to understand. He says, I stand before you. If you're going to live straight in a crooked world, I'm telling you that you can take a crooked stick and hit a straight lick. If you are following the conscience of God in your heart and your life and letting him move as only he can move. Today, you know what's interesting is. In the safety world, there's a term about the normalization of deviation. The normalization of deviation. And what that means is that if you have a habit of breaking and taking shortcuts, that becomes a normal way of doing it. The normalization of deviation. And when deviating becomes the new standard, then there's no telling where you're going to end up. No telling where you're going to end up. <clears throat> you see, my friends, you cannot go on how you feel. There's days that I don't feel like doing anything. There's days that I don't feel good. There's days that I feel great. But I understand that the way I live is not anchored in the way I feel. It is anchored in what God says in God's word because it is a constant source of stability and an unstable world. It is the stabilizing factor that wants to move in our heart and life. And today we live in a society where the abnormal has become normal, where the dysfunctional has become functional. And we've got to get back to the place. It doesn't matter what the world says about us that we've got to get to the place where we are standing steadfast resolved unshakable on the fundamental principles of god's world it doesn't word it doesn't matter if the world is deviating and the world is normalizing i want you to know normalizing what is wrong we have to be to a place where we are not walking around with a spirit a spirit of spiritual haughty toitiness a spiritual superficialness that we are throwing our nose up in the air and looking down on fallen sinners like they're such terrible people we need to get to the place where we are willing to run to where they are and say i want you to know there is a way out i can lead you down the pathway that you're needing to walk down god is wanting to do something special in our heart and life but we cannot normalize deviating from god's scriptures let me give you an example second point when you have a christ-like consciousness as paul says you will have a Christ-like confidence. Hey, follow along with me here. I want to read these scriptures. There's quite a few of them. But the high priest, Ananias, was standing there with those next to him. And he said, strike him in the mouth. Punch him in the mouth. For what? Because Paul stood there and said, I'm standing here in good conscience. I'm standing here. And Paul had such confidence that the confidence that Paul had in front of the high priest, Ananias was ticked off that he wasn't shaking in his boots 
and that he wasn't cowering down in the face of their power and their strength. And so here he is, he's standing there, and Ananias says, strike him in the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God's going to strike you in the mouth, basically. You whitewashed wall. You are sitting there judging me. Get this, follow along with me. You're judging me according to your law. And yet, by judging me according to your law, you're violating the very law that you're judging me by. Hypocritical authority is what that is. And what he is saying here in this place, in this context, is you're, you're in violation of ordering me to be struck. And those standing nearby said, do you dare to revile and ridicule God's high priest? Question mark. He says, Paul says, well, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. He replied, for Paul said, it is written that I must not speak evil. Of a ruler of your people. Guy says punch him in the mouth. Paul says. I'm going to pray that God punches you in the mouth. You're a hypocrite. And then they said he's a high priest. Oh Paul said well then I need to be under spiritual authority. The Bible says that I should obey and honor those who are in rule over you. Hmm. Stay with me here. And so then it comes on and it says, and when Paul realized, when Paul realized that one part of them were Sadducees and the other part was Pharisees, he cried out to the Sanhedrin and said, brothers, I am a Pharisee of the Pharisees and I am being judged because of the hope of the resurrection. Underline that in your Bible. I'm being judged because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And when he said this, Paul, Paul was a smart man. A dispute broke out. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees were there. And they began to argue with one another and the whole assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection and no angel or no spirit. But the Pharisees affirmed them all. Then the shouting began to grow louder and louder. And some of the scribes and the Pharisees and the party, they got up and they argued vehemently with one another. That means really, really strong. And they were arguing back and forth and said, we find nothing evil in this man. What if a spirit or an angel has spoke to him? Here's the thing I want you to understand, that we cannot avoid criticism. The church of a living God has got to decide we're either going to be friends with God or friends with the world. We cannot walk down that same pathway. Those two roads do not reach the same destination. And what God is wanting us to do today in the church of a living God is to live with full confidence in Him and live in full consciousness of His Word and live in full courage of His Word, whether the the people are stacked against us whether the crowd is for us or the crowd is against us that we will stand and not be controlled by the changing winds of whatever is happening today but we will be resolved and we shall not be moved I don't care whether you like Donald Trump or hate him that's your own personal preference but one thing that he's driving the world crazy on is he just does what he said he was going to do And they're like saying, wait, he can't do it. What do you mean? He's doing what he said he was going to do. And they're like, they're telling him, you can't do this. You can't do this. It's bad for business, all this. He's like, well, I'm just going to do it regardless. The world does not know what to do with someone who is resolute in their positions. Right or wrong. Godly or ungodly. But isn't it amazing that people are that way? 
people are resolved and they're, the whole world is coming against everything that is Christ-like, everything that is holy. What God is looking for is not revival to break out in the White House, not revival to break out in the Senate or the House of Representatives, not in our local governor's mansion. God is looking for revival to break out in the church of a living God. And the church of a living God will have a strong Christ-like conscience, stick to the Word of God, live with strong confidence, and not be moved. And though none go with you, they still will follow Jesus Christ. I'm telling you that if revival will break out in God's house, then we will see men assuming their rightful place of position and quit placating to the world and, and feeling bad for being male. And, and, and I'm telling you, let me just press in for a moment. And they will live and breathe in the position that God has placed them in. And when you have a man that is right with God, you will have a home that is stable. You will have a home that is steadfast. It doesn't mean that home won't walk through hell by the square inch. But I want you to know that when all hell assails and the waters come over you and the fires are wanting to consume you, you will come out. You will come out walking on water smelling like you've never been burned and being steadfast because you are anchored in a Christ-like conviction with Christ-like confidence. Wait a minute, Paul. You're supposed to have your head bowed. You're supposed to be repentful. You're supposed to be sorry. You're supposed to be remorseful that you're causing all of this confusion. Paul says, I'm not remorseful. I'm not repentant that I'm preaching the word of God. He says, I'm standing here today in good confidence and good conscience. Woo, I mean, move on. Mercy. See, Paul had a clear conscience and a strong confidence in the one that he had put his trust in. You know why people don't are always changing what they put their trust in? Because a better offer comes. Someone who can offer them something more and they sell out. I'm telling you, son, there is nothing anybody can offer you more than laying down his life and dying for you. And says, and that very same power that raised God from the dead will live in you. And you can know the power of the resurrection if you enjoy the fellowship of his sufferings. See, my friends, today when we think about this, you either have to say Christ was, you either have to acknowledge that Christ was a legend, a lunatic, a liar, or the Lord. Which one is he to you today? See, the devil unites to bring division. But Christ divides to bring unity. The devil brings people together, <clears throat> like the Pharisees and Sadducees. They couldn't stand each other. But they were united under the fact of taking Paul down. But what God did was he divided them in order to unite Paul's journey and his mission and his philosophy in the book of Acts. It's kind of like, I guess, a good way to put that is the old saying, an enemy of my enemy is my friend. My friends today, we may have, you may have never suffered physically, been beaten for following Christ. But so many people will not follow Christ, will not sign over the title deed of their life because they don't know how to live with the relationships that they form for some 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years on the backside of the cross. What's the difference in the front side and the back side? Oh, a lot. On the front side, he's a crucified Lord. 
But when you accept him, you move to the backside, and it's that not, not you see on the front. Oh, get this right here. Lean in for just a minute. Look, look, look right here. If you're watching at home, get this. On the front side, it's John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But when you move around to the backside of the Christ, it's I have been crucified with Christ, yet I live. Oh, is somebody awake out there? I mean, it went, it, on the front side, he died for the whole world. On the back side, he didn't die for the whole world. He died for me. And I've been crucified with Christ, yet I live. And that very same power, I live in my faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. Boy, there's a big difference. Whoo, mercy. There's a big difference on the front side and the back side. 18 inches, actually. 18 inches difference. It moves from your head to your heart. On the front side, you realize he died for the whole world. But on the back side, it moves from you understanding it academically to knowing it relationally. Jesus didn't die for you to be religious. He died for you to be holy. He died for you to have a right relationship with him. And we have to have a strong, a strong conscience with a Christ-like conviction and a Christ-like courage. The only way you can have confidence in your Lord is to embrace Lordship. This is why Lordship is a heel that a family of grace we're willing to die on. I'm not going to die on the heel of spiritual gifts. I'm not going to die on the heel of predestination. I'm not going to die on those heels. But I'm telling you that 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 13 and 14 says that if one died for all, that all should live or could live, then all who live should live for the one who died for all i have been past tense crucified christ you say preacher you keep saying that every week i know because a lot of us aren't picking up what i'm putting down there's a difference in going to church and being a child of god there's a difference in having religion and having a relationship last thing when you have christ like a Christ-like conscience, you will have Christ-like conviction. You will have Christ-like courage. And then you will have a Christ-like comfort. Let me read you two more verses in this chapter. When the dispute broke out, it became violent. Now, boy, you know it's bad when the Bible says it's violent. Amen. And the commander feared that these people were probably would tear Paul apart. They wanted him that bad. They were, they were scared that if they could get their hands on Paul, they would tear him apart limb by limb. So he ordered the troops to go down and rescue Paul from them. And then he took Paul safely from them into the barracks. That following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said, Hey, Paul, son, have courage. 
For as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you will also testify about me in Rome. God did not dispatch an angel, but he went himself. Similar in the book of Acts chapter 9 and verse 4 when they were beating Stephen with the rocks and crushing his head. Stephen said, I looked up and I saw through the first heaven, through the second heaven, and into the third heaven. And I saw Jesus at his rightful place of authority at the right hand of God. And then... I saw him standing. And Stephen said, look, behold, I see Jesus 